1: Carl thank you very much and welcome everybody to the halftime report I'm Scott Wapner front and center this hour the big jump in stocks after the CPI comes in cooler than expected major implications obviously for the fed and your money and by the way the Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel will join us in just a few minutes with his reaction and outlook now for the markets the investment committee they're with me as always joining me for the hour today Brenda Vangelo Rob Siechen Jason Snipe and Josh Brown, let's check stocks. You heard Carl and the gang talking about. it. We got a cool thousand. That's where we were a moment ago on the on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. That's three percent. We're right around that level. S and is good for wow, nearly five percent gain. That's where it's been throughout the morning. Nasdaq, look at that, six and a quarter percent. The Russell's ripping as small caps do quite well today. Yields are down. Three eighty-five is the ten-year. The dollar is down. So that's a very uh, significant part of the story too. Josh Brown, go to you first. You told me the dollar at least was the whole ball game. Those were your words yesterday. But this is an amazing story today. What are your thoughts now on what it means for stocks going forward here?
2: This is the biggest one day dollar decline in like seven years. And that's why you get a thousand point Dow rally. That's why you get the Nasdaq doing what it's doing, um, because all these stories are very interrelated. And I think the new thing you're going to start hearing, um, like where the the puck is going, is you're going to start hearing people say, you know what, actually, I think inflation is still overstated. You know, we've got these lags in the way the shelter component uh, is calculated. Everybody can look around them and see homes aren't selling, home prices are falling, rents are now falling. They're staying a little bit more stable for people re-signing existing leases, but for new leases, it I don't think it's anywhere near seven. You know, seven or, or seven point something percent. So I actually think we are going to be a little bit calmer. You'll probably see less volatility in bond yields now with each successive uh, inflation report, not the CPI, but everything that goes into it. You're seeing used car prices. You're seeing layoffs all over technology and media. So I think we're going to just have a little bit less volatility. But where the puck is going is, yay, things are slowing down. And then take a beat. Wait. Wait. Things are really slowing down, so we. I, I hope we get a month. You know, I hope we get a month to six weeks before we start worrying about. Well, wait, how fast is it slowing down? But um, it's a big change, and I don't think that we should. Uh, I don't think we should try to pour cold water on the meaning of this. I think it's very important psychologically uh-huh. for the market that there is this this sense uh, that we're past peak inflation still tons of inflation but well past peak inflation and all of the trends are now going in the same direction at once so jason snipe does
1: this open the door to a significant year-end rally let's call it over the next six weeks as josh said uh, assuming there are no shocks in in between does it do that
3: yeah i think obviously these numbers are were very positive today and the markets obviously responding um you know Tremendously to the numbers. So, what I would say about you know, just kind of looking ahead, you know, and looking to the Fed and potentially in December, fifty basis points, you know, starting to be priced in. You know, we saw some dovish commentary for some Fed speak today. Harker talking about a terminal rate at four and a half and maybe pausing. You know, the dot plot, you know, uh, has a terminal rate under five now, but four and a half is is significant. And then, you know, other other um, less hawkish speak from the Fed. So as I as I look to the market and I look at what what could potentially go from here and and Josh already alluded to it, I mean, home prices are falling off the table. Uh, Used car. Uh, prices have come down some. So there is been some deceleration in inflation. And, and I think that will show up in, in, in some of the reports, some of the earning reports as, as we look to uh, going into next year. So I think the market can. And then we got uh, an election uh, you know, results that wasn't exactly a red wave, but we do have gridlock. So there, there's a couple of catalysts here that I think could push the market forward. Definitely in the near term. So I, I think that's what we can see here. Rob, your your
1: research team over at New Edge has been more negative of late over the last, you know, let's call it several months. Uh, Cameron mm-hmm. Dawson comes on overtime a lot and has articulated that view, including yesterday. Um, does this make you guys more positive now? Uh, and if not, how can't it?
4: Well, I think in the near term, it does, because slower hikes and, and, and lower terminal rates, causes bonds to rally and it causes the dollar to drop, which is near term bullish uh for equities. In addition, we're rated right a critical point where we may break through thirty nine hundred on the S P. That has been a key uh resistance level. And in order to make a run to the uh, 200-day moving average, which is 4,100, we think you need to to have some of this positive momentum. And of course, seasonally, this is a strong time. And Jason already mentioned what happened in the midterms. But let's say we get to 4,100. We think at at those levels, valuation becomes a ceiling. And And that's even if earnings are flat next year, which right now, earnings are still expected to grow. If you look at the S&P on flat earnings at 4,100, it trades at 18.6 times. Now, let's say this deceleration that Josh talks about. By the way, we're still in a downtrend. Okay, we are still in a downtrend, and earnings are going to be decelerating. And if you get a mild recession, you could see a 10% earnings decline, which means the S&P at those levels trades at 20 and a half times. I think we are in a place where we should be having investors take advantage of this move higher it's why we've stayed invested in quality it's not like we're not invested we're cautiously invested and that's paid huge dividends for us but at that point i think you have to think about repositioning because bonds have become infinitely more attractive from a price standpoint they now play an important role in portfolios
0: you
1: you say investors should quote unquote take advantage of this move. That says to me, investors should sell into this to reposition their portfolios. Is is that how I translate that?
4: Yes. I don't know if it's this level right now, because I think we have some near-term momentum that may allow us to break through to the upside a little bit higher. But you have to be mindful that, again, valuation is a ceiling. And if you're a fundamental investor, and you recognize the fact that we are still in a downtrend until that is broken and what is going to break that a fed pivots gonna gonna break that and we've got a green shoot a fed pause probably doesn't break that okay in order for us to get to the 4800 that tom lee's been talking about and, you know He's been he's been really right on what's been happening in inflation, as as our head of research, Bill Bill Inglis. It's rolling over. It's rolling over faster than most expect. But does that cause a pause, or does that cause a pivot? And in order to justify valuations that are 18 and a half to 20 and a half times. You, you've got to be thinking about where is the relative opportunity to equities. And there are parts of credit, there are parts of fixed income that I think deserve a seat at the table at some point. Um, so when I talk about positioning, it's, it's at the margin, right? Right. You're going to be in equities, but maybe you're a little less. You reduce if you have a client that has cash needs as they come into year end. Mm-hmm. You might use those levels as an opportunity to reposition right. for that cash.
1: So Brenda, how do you, how do you see this now? You know, Rob suggests you should take advantage of this. Maybe not quite at this very moment. You could have some momentum to the upside, but this this move is still guilty until proven innocent. Until you get over some you know more critical levels that suggests maybe we are closer to what he thinks, that's Rob being he, is a a true pivot, not just a pause.
5: Right, and I think we have to take this moment into context. And if we look at some of the other factors that have been impacting the market, for example, put option activity. has just been off the charts this year with over a trillion dollars trading daily. So we have to take that into consideration when, when thinking about a day like we're seeing today. Where there's obviously a lot of unwinding of that trade going on. But I think we need to see an environment where corporate earnings still hang in there and the services sector continues to be relatively strong. If we do see that- um, you know the feds actions really have- um, had a lag effect and we start to see. A lot of um, negative impact as a result come flowing through over the next couple of quarters. I, that's not going to be a good story on the equity side, certainly. And if Rob's um, scenario plays out, where we have a double-digit earnings decline next year, I think there is downside to the market. So I think we need to to stay diversified, um, certainly, um, and again favor high-quality companies. But then also look even beyond the S and P 500 within the equity market. There are plenty of areas where valuation is really. Quite low, relatively speaking and, uh, and bonds also are a lot more attractive. So we have to take that into consideration too and thinking about just what is the valuation ceiling of this market. Mm-hmm. Because there is an alternative now where you can earn 6% and with relatively low risk.
1: Yeah. Josh Brown. So I want to go deeper on this NASDAQ move. It's, it's bananas. I mean it's best in two and a half years. More than 6% for tech today. We've been talking about, you know, the the dollar's impact, obviously rates, perhaps more than anything in the impact uh, on the Nasdaq. You know, Bitcoin's up today. That's that's helping, I think, the part of the story, too. But what are your thoughts here?
2: I think when you're talking about the Nasdaq and you're looking at the biggest components, you're talking about stocks. Take Apple out. You're talking about stocks that are down anywhere from 30 to 50 percent. You're talking about uh, Alphabet is a really great example this was going to be the first company in history to go from two trillion to one trillion in market cap. Uh, had we not had this recent uh, kick save, think about the magnitude of a publicly traded one company losing a trillion dollars in market cap. It's it's incredible the 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 extent of the losses. And you know I, I had said on the air with you uh, yesterday, this is worse than the 2000-2002 bear market. Uh, now, granted, the NASDAQ hasn't fallen 90%, but I'm talking in terms of market cap losses. So that's when that, that's how you get a situation where Alphabet goes up 8% a day with no fundamental uh, news. That's how you get Amazon up 13%. It's a question of how far these stocks have already fallen. Uh, they, they run out of sellers at a certain point, And then you get news like today that I do, again, really feel changes the sentiment landscape. Nobody's getting crazy bullish on these stocks. It's just, all right, I get it. It's it's inflation. It's hard to hire. There are layoffs. now. All right, I understand all that. However, here is a stock that's already been cut in half. Maybe it never belonged where it was. Let's not use the old market cap as our benchmark, but let's recognize a lot of damage has been done. Valuations have corrected substantially. So that is where I think this NASDAQ rally comes from. We don't
1: have to make it any more complicated than that. So on that note, though, Josh, I mean, does this reverse the narrative now that's been trying to gather steam that these stocks were dead in the water for a bit, that the, the, the game had moved to value stocks and that the action was over here for a little bit? Maybe this reignites uh, a trade that people have loved for, for years
2: Yeah, I want to be very careful about, you know, talking about one day's action and then trying to extrapolate that out into something that it's not growth. uh, Look at Vanguard growth. VUG is the ETF up 7% today. Vanguard value VTV is the ETF only up 3%. That's remarkable, but it's one day. And uh, even the Dow, where the Dow opened this morning, it's hard to believe, given how negative everything's been all year, where it opened this morning. That would put it at only a 7.5% year-to-date loss. So like for all of the consternation over the market, the economy, inflation, this, that, to have the Dow be down less than 10% on the year, which is the case right now, is amazing. And the reason why that's possible is because that pivot from growth at any price to growth at a reasonable price, all the way down to, okay, you know what? I just want the quality names that have good cash flows, that aren't dependent on uh, crypto or whatever. Like that that, uh, being the bigger trend, Uh I think is still in force. So I would not look at today And say, I want to go crazy on consumer discretionary and and semiconductors. I don't think that's the right move. I think the right move is to recognize there has been a, a shift in the mentality of investors that will outlast this one particular
1: trading day. Yeah. And, Jay, I mean, you know, I'm not even thinking about, say, one day. I'm thinking about what the implications of this one day are. Right. Heading into today, it was fear hotter than expected. CPI. RATES CONTINUE TO MOVE UP, FED MAYBE 75 IN DECEMBER. YOU COULD THEORETICALLY SAY ALL THREE OF THOSE are, ARE WIPED OFF THE TABLE. ALL THREE OF THOSE WERE MORE NEGATIVE FOR TECH, AND THAT WOULD CONTINUE THEORETICALLY TO the SLIDE IN THOSE STOCKS. NOW IF YOU SAY, WELL, THIS CHANGES THE GAME, AND ALL THREE OF THOSE ARE NOW ERASED, THEN MAYBE THAT TECH TRADE, WHICH HAS BEEN HAMMERED SO HARD, NOW GETS REIGNITED If you think that you don't have to worry about 75 in December, rates continuing to move higher and influence the Fed.
3: No doubt about it, Scott. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, any 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 move here that's that's been cooler, a cooler number like we've seen is supportive to long duration assets. And I think Josh makes a great point. I mean, the sentiment on tech has really been bad. It's been abysmal this year. I mean, with the Nasdaq down almost 30 percent years and he and Josh already pointed out, you know, looking at the Dow, you know, below 10. You know, so when I I think about a move today, which, of course, the price action has been very solid, you know, in the Nasdaq, I mean, you, you, you have to you have to realize and understand that, listen, the Fed is going to still remain engaged. Yes, I think part of what they're doing is working, but we need to see a trend here um, in the numbers. And I think that's when you can maybe start to really look at uh, growth and tech in a more meaningful way than you are today. But I think, you know, for us, we're still relatively defensive. I think there's part value parts of the market that I think uh, still present some value uh, to you here and not to not to abandon growth. But I, I do think we still need to see a series of prints right, you know, bring, heading in the right direction.
1: Let's bring in our halftime headliner today. He is Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School. Professor, your reaction to this print on the CPI and the subsequent move in stocks?
6: Well, Scott, this is what we've been talking about, I think, for the last three months. Uh, that inflation is much lower than the Fed thinks. In fact, let me give you an interesting statistic and follows up on what Josh was saying and what I have been saying for months, actually more than a year. If you put the actual home and rental price index in, not the one the Fed uses, which is very lag, the actual one in today's index, you get negative core inflation, negative Mm. core inflation inflation. I mean, take a look at what core inflation on the shelter part was. Plus 0.8%. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. It's nowhere near No that. way. No way. I mean, and I mean, that's the only by the way, that's the only reason why core was positive. Uh, not only is it zero, it's actually negative. Mm-hmm. And so if you put a negative number in, we, we're we're in negative inflation mode. If the Fed uses the right statistics, not the faulty statistics uh, that they've been using. Um, So, you know, I mean, you're saying when should they when should they pivot? Yesterday. I mean, yeah, they'll probably go now 50 and stop. They don't really need to even do that because everything is in the down mode. Um, You know, yeah, you know, I told you last June, I thought the danger was the Fed was getting too tight. Right. And uh, now. You know, I think the
1: data is showing, yeah, maybe that's true. So if you had your way, what what would they do next month in the December well, meeting?
6: Well, you know, well, there's a lot of data coming through. I'm going to have another month of data to come through. But if the trends continue, I, I would stick with where we were. are. Now, I don't think they will. Are they going to go to 50 and announce a pause? And that's what happened today. I mean, you know, it, 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 the data today sort of confirmed that negative. The da- if the data continues to go the way it's going, see no reason why it isn't. But it's going to be to go 50 and announce a real pause. Okay, what happens? Um, and, that, what, and that's why we have
1: a thousand-point rally today. What, and what, even, by yeah. the way, we get a CPI print the day before the Fed meeting in, in yeah. December. If that continues the trend of what we see today, does that potentially influence a, a 25 instead of a 50 it could be
6: I mean it could be in terms of and what other real data comes then we had a slight uptick in in jobless uh, uh, jobless claims if that starts going up if we see weakness in the November employment report that we're not expecting um, that combined with another good CPI that might put pressure on them even going less uh, in in uh, their December meeting. Hmm. But don't forget, the the housing component in December will still be plus 0.7, plus 0.8, which is 40 percent of that index. And it'll continue to push up as the housing market goes down. um, And uh, that's the nature of the statistics that they're
1: using. Professor, so what does this mean for stocks? Obviously, you know, massive move today, uh, relief. In many respects, but what happens from here? Do we have the opportunity now for a significant end-of-year rally, at minimum? Yeah, yeah, I, I think we
6: do because I think of more people that, that think about the fact that you, you know, that inflation is is basically over, and you know, something I said uh, I said two months ago. Inflation is basically over and the Fed doesn't have to get anywhere near as high. I mean, I was shocked at, at uh, you know, Powell's last news conference. Oh, we're going to be, I feel we have to be more hawkish than we were last September when all the data was pointing down. He's going to change his tune, I think, when he, you know, when they get to the, you know, the, the real world data in their December meeting. But I think this does make for a good year-end rally. I don't think, I'm not necessarily true. And then the question you asked Josh about, does this reignite tech? I mean, you know, yeah, I think the Nasdaq still selling for 23 24 times next year's earnings while the Dow is selling for what 15 or 16 times next year's earnings. I think yeah, uh, you know, I I I I I think this is a one and this is a relief jump because, you know, rates are a big pressure on tech, but I still think that people are going to be saying, you know what? I I'm 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 going to go with those that have good dividend yields, good earnings. I mean, I I think that that shift will reassert itself after um, uh, after the next uh, few days. And you think the market will be uh, both of
1: them will be up and the market itself will be up. And you think that the market can continue to go up without tech leading the way.
6: Yeah, without tech being the, the, the leading the way, absolutely. I mean, I think that they may max the, the Dow, but but that means, I mean, as Josh said, I mean, the, you know, the value is outperform growth by, what, 10, 15 percentage points. Uh, um, and so if, even if they go equal, uh, there'll still be an outperformance, you know, of value. Um, value is much more reasonable than they, and I'm sure that some of those growth stocks are 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 good long-term values. They've almost rotated in some, in some of the value stocks. But I still think that, uh, you know, that trend that we have seen all year will basically reassert itself with both going up, probably value stocks going up more. But most important for investors, whole abounds portfolio, both will be going up the rest of this year. Josh, question for the professor.
2: Hey, Professor, I feel like a lot of times when we're all talking about value versus growth and which ones you want to overweight and, and which ones has to lead the way, what we're really saying is industry uh, dispersion. And it just so happens that the environment that we're in this year does not favor long duration assets, which technology companies are. And it does favor companies that are in the industrial space. The financials have benefited from rising rates. Um, And of course, uh, energy stocks have benefited from the acute uh, energy shortages that are being experienced around the world, electricity shortages, too. So if if that's really what's going on, don't you think investors would be better off being a little bit more focused on the fundamentals and a little bit less focused on the guessing game of, you know, what value or growth, what are managers going to be selecting for?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you've got to look at fundamentals all all the time, and I think it's it's you know it's not just a, you're absolutely right. The tech is longer duration assets, and and that's why a yield drop such as the huge drop we had today is going to cause a bounce on those. But a lot of people are are saying are, are, even without that, are they going to have? Is tech going to have the unbelievable earnings growth that it had in the five to ten years preceding, you know that that preceded this year. Is is there going to be competition? Mm. Um, is, is there going to be rotation? Uh, and I think, I think that that is going to impact those stocks uh, perhaps more than the fact that they are going to get rate relief going forward. While, you know, there is still a chance we can avoid a hard landing. I mean, if the Fed does really pivot in December 2023, I don't think is going
1: to be as bad as many, many fear today. Hey, professor, before I let you go, um, you are the professor, of course. So what's the lesson that we're all learning from crypto? I'm wondering what your own thoughts are as you watch what's happening with FTX and how you think in a more interconnected market um, that potentially plays negatively into other asset classes, if at all.
6: Right. I, I don't think that it it poses a threat. Some people say, is this a Lehman moment? I mean, if it really goes down, no, because actually more than half the value has already gone down and the financial system has survived very, very well. So if it goes down another 50 or 75%, you know, that that's not going to impair values. I mean, I'll tell you one thing that's really important that I was thinking about, back when Lehman went under, I had money in money market mutual funds. I had money in, you know, banks and all the rest. And I said to myself, thank God the Fed is backing those assets. Um,
1: Crypto doesn't have that. We'll make that the last word. Uh, Inflation is basically over. That's the headline that's going to be carried from today, uh, which is amazing in and of itself, Professor, that you suggest that on a day where the CPI still comes in seven seven. But we'll see. And we look forward to talking to you uh, many times in the future, Professor Siegel at the Wharton School. Tesla shares, they're higher along with the rest of the rally, still on pace for the worst year ever, though. Big, big call on Wall Street today from one of the biggest supporters of the stock. We'll debate it next.
0: Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
1: All right, we're back. We need to talk about Tesla today. The stock, yes, it's up 7.2%. Year to date, it's down 46%. Uh, that's on pace for the worst year ever. The big news today is that it was removed, the stock, from Wedbush's best ideas list, the firm calling the Twitter deal and albatross. We've made it our call of the day. It's Dan Ives. And Brenda, you own the stock. Um, very, very interesting. Ives says that, uh, of Musk, he's essentially tarnished the Tesla stock story and is starting to potentially impact the Tesla brand with this ongoing Twitter train wreck disaster. Those are strong <laughs> words from a very significant supporter of the stock. What does it mean to you, if anything?
5: No doubt that this is it's a huge distraction with Twitter um, for Elon Musk. But I would say if we look beyond Elon and what's actually happening at the company, you know, last quarter we had revenue growth of more than 55%. The company is selling every vehicle they produce. There's still a great story to be had if we look at production costs with the ramp up of the Austin and Berlin facilities, which are specially made EV facilities, and that's different than the Fremont facility. So it means that they will ultimately be more profitable. Um, but as those ramp up, we'll start to see that flow through. So I still think there's a lot to be said here about the underlying story of Tesla and their positioning in the market, which remains excellent. Excellent. Uh, really, first mover within the EV space, and still have a very strong stronghold it, within the space. Even as we see ongoing competition come in, we just think that they've established a really solid base, um, and are likely to still be able to see really great trends. There aren't too many large cap companies growing revenue at more than fifty percent in this sort of environment. So we mm. think that's meaningful too.
1: All right. So, so you know, Ives goes incrementally. Um, negative, we'll we'll call it. Otherwise, analysts are still bullish. 290s, the average price target, 25 with a buy, 12 uh, with a hold, and only four with a sell, even in what is, as we said, the worst year ever. We do have, hang on, we do have some breaking news. Hold on, Josh, i get to you. Steve Leisman has some headlines now from Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester. Steve?
7: Scott, good afternoon. Loretta Mester, the Cleveland Fed President, saying the CPI numbers this morning suggest Some easing in inflation, but upside risks remain. She is not necessarily all that sanguine about these numbers. She says service inflation has shown no signs of slowing. Policy needs to be more restrictive and remain restrictive for a while. She notes that real rates, real interest rates, that is inflation-adjusted interest rates, are just now moving into restrictive territory. The larger risk, she says, comes from tightening too little versus tightening too much, GDP growth will be below trend or well below trend this year or next. We also got some information from uh, some comments from Mary Dale, the San Francisco Fed president, saying the CPI report was good news. But one month of data is not a victory. Scott.
1: Yeah, she said a range of the uh, daily did to your, to your Three seventy five to four is, in her words, modestly restrictive. Did you hear the conversation we just had with Professor Siegel, Steve? Uh, because if you didn't, to recap that, he declared this, These were his exact words. Inflation is basically over. Uh, Powell doesn't have to to uh, move uh, as high after today that the Fed essentially is looking at uh, the, the wrong thing when it's trying to decide where inflation actually is and where it's going. What's your reaction to that? You know, I'm a big fan of Professor Siegel. Um, however,
7: Scott, if he has an alternative aggregate price index that he'd like to share that is a better one to follow than either the CPI or the PCE, I believe not only I would, but many other people would follow it. The trouble is the Fed has to follow the aggregate price index. The CPI and the PCE are among the best we have for all prices in the economy. I think the professor is absolutely right. And he got a little vindication today when it comes to rents declining or owner equivalent rents coming down at least the pace of Uh, increases did did decline. But we have to look at all the prices in the economy. We are still way too high on a monthly basis, Scott. I don't know how you say that inflation is fine at this point. Prices are still up 7.7 percent. That is a very, very high number. Yes, it was under expectations. The three-month annualized is coming down. But Prices are still 7.7 percent higher, or 0.4 percent higher month to month. Those are high numbers. Scott. No, no doubt.
1: Which is how I ended with the professor. To be, you know, to be out there declaring inflation's basically over when you did a 7-7 print um, is 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 in an, is in of itself is stunning. The point though is that it's going to collapse. You know, m- moving forward. L- let me ask you this: You get another CPI print literally the day before the next um, Fed decision. If you get a similar read a similar drop that you did this this time. Is 25 possible instead of 50? I,
7: I, I think it is possible, and there is some bid. I'm going to give you the bid on that right now while I talk, Scott. The, uh, uh, I think it was 60-40 on the 25, or maybe it was more than that. Hold on one second. Uh, yeah, it is. It's 61-38 on the possibility of a 25. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. No, that's wrong. It's 73 Uh, it's still a 50 built-in with some possibility. That was for February I was reading you, Scott. Um, I think the Fed is going to go 50. I think the Fed wants to get further into restrictive territory this comment by Mester, and I don't read it just because it's there. I read it because I think it's important that the risk of doing too little outweighs the risk of doing too much. I think that's the operative phrase for Powell and for most people on the FOMC right now. So I think they're going to go 50. Where you want to have a debate is do they go to five or do they stop at four and a half? I don't
1: think it's ready yet to talk about the Fed stopping somewhere below four and a half. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're not going to have to go to five. And certainly if you get another Well, that's another- where the debate is. Yeah, yeah, I think
7: I think that's a reasonable thing, but I think the Fed wants to get to restrictive, wants to see they wants to extinguish inflation. Um, uh, Powell has when you talk about the history that you read, that's the history that's guiding them. And the history that he keeps talking about is the history of the Fed uh, doing a false stop, I guess, is the best way to put it. In the 70s, when it was cutting, when it was raising rates and stopped and cut
1: and inflation came back. That is the history that is instructive. Sure. Fed Chair Jay Powell right now. But restrictive is subjective. I mean, it, it depends on the amount of, you know, restrictiveness. It actually goes into the, the economy. And, and the fact of That's the matter right. is they may already be at that level or near. We just don't know yet. And we Depends, have to give it time.
7: The, 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 key, the key number there, Scott, to think about is what does you use for your inflation to figure out where restrictive is? Look, here's the thing. We've been operating in a world of neutral or negative real funds rate. There is no reason why over a long period of time outside of emergency, the funds rate should be negative. That means it should be positive to begin with. The question is how much more positive on top of that it ought to be. I think the Fed's looking for a half to a full point of restrictive on top of a half point to a full point of just normal being positive when it comes to real rates. So I think you got to add two and a half to whatever your inflation rate is. And that's what gets you
1: near four and a half to five. Good stuff. Good stuff, Steve. Quick math. Yep. All right. That's Steve Leisman, With the latest headlines, a lot of Fed speak this week. I think coming into the week, we had seven or so speakers. So we're moving our way down that list. Still ahead, we are following the latest developments in the crypto and FTX fallout. We'll have the headlines next. Plus, do not miss Mike Santoli's midday word. We're going to highlight one big stock winner as well today that Josh Brown owns. We still have to get to his cell. We got a lot ahead. We'll be right back.
3: U.S.
5: venture capital deal value for female founders hit more than $32 billion in the first three quarters of the year, according to PitchBook. That's already the second biggest year for deal value. But female investors account for just 16% of VC decision makers in the U.S. Just 4.5% of firms have a female majority. That's your ESG Fest fact of the day.
0: What does it mean to be rich?
8: Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Vote counting continues in the key Arizona Senate race. You can see poll workers in Maricopa County, the state's largest county, continuing to tabulate the results. A batch of votes was released late last night and an estimated 400,000 ballots remain outstanding in the county. Mark Kelly, the Democratic candidate for Senate, says he is confident in his chances and that he is grateful for the around-the-clock work to count those remaining ballots. Ukrainian forces are moving into the area surrounding the Kyrgyzstan after Russian troops retreated from the southern city. Kiev officials are cautious that Russian forces could resume a bombing campaign of the city, and it is unclear just how much of the pre-war civilian population remains in that city. And Twitter is updating its rules around paid verification after a number of accounts began impersonating celebrities. Twitter said any accounts created after yesterday won't be able to subscribe for verification. Some have criticized the new verification system and say it could be used to spread misinformation. Halftime report returns after this. All
1: right, we're back on the halftime report. The fallout of crypto exchange FTX continuing our Kate Rooney following all these developments. We had some tweets today from Sam Bankman fried himself apologizing. What's the latest here?
9: That's right, Scott. A lot going on here. FTX is now scrambling to find another bailout option now that that Binance deal is officially off. I uh, spoke to sources overnight close to that due diligence process. One person told me that FTX has at least an $8 billion hole on its balance sheet. That is as far as they say they got in the vetting process. Another source telling me the losses could be significantly larger than that. A source who saw those numbers says there were various red flags in there that the quant trading firm Alameda Research, that was also founded by Bankman-Fried, was essentially funding FTX. Separately, Scott, two sources telling me now that the DOJ is investigating FTX and its CEO. The two issues at hand here, the company potentially misappropriating customer funds and misleading investors about that relationship with Alameda and FTX. Bankman-Fried, though, you mentioned it, tweeting today about some other deal options. He said this morning there are a number of players who are in talks, they're in talks with LOIs, letter of intent there, term sheets, etc. He says they're also winding down Alameda Research and says, as he put it, I effed up. We asked him about that relationship between those two companies in August. Here's what he said. What about the relationship between FTX and Alameda? I think there's some questions on kind of where those lines are. Are there any potential conflicts of interest in running as many companies as you do in the same space?
6: Yeah, I've put a lot of work over the last few years into uh, trying to eliminate conflicts of interest there. And, you know, one big piece of this is just like, I don't run Alameda, I don't work for it. Um, None of FTX does, you know, separate staffs. And the way that we view... FTX is as a neutral piece of market infrastructure.
9: The latest from the Wall Street Journal, Scott, meanwhile, is that FTX used customer funds to fund some of its riskier bets. They're citing a person familiar with the matter. Bankman Freed also reportedly told investors that Alameda owes FTX about $10 billion. A lot going on here, but we'll bring you all the latest. Yep, Scott,
1: and, uh, back to you. I'm sure there'll be more latest later on. Uh, we'll see it. Uh, Kate Rooney, thank you very much. Up next, Mike Santoli's with his midday word when we come back. All right. We're back on the half senior markets commentator Mike Santoli. There he is from the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. And it's, I guess, relief.
10: (laughs) Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, Relief, uh, tension release. Uh, It does show you. And, you know, I don't know that it was necessarily all that obvious in the days leading up to today's CPI number that uh, the street was so clenched up expecting the potential for another uh, hot number. (laughs) Clearly, yesterday's events where you did have that extra pressure uh, due to the crypto uh, turmoil on the Nasdaq, on those areas, has set the scene here. right? So the s and is up about twice as much as it was down yesterday. It's a very big one-day move. You and I were talking about the JP Morgan note, right, where they did handicap. You could get something like this on a downside surprise in CPI. So it does make sense. And what I find interesting is it's one of these situations where the market's rushing up right to its next potential test. Uh, we're at the S&P above 3,900. We were here, you know, early part of this month. Uh, and that's also right in the uh, in the zone where it's kind of, a middle, of middle of the seven-month range. Is it going to have enough to go beyond this point, capture some of that seasonal strength that everyone's been talking about for weeks?
1: Yeah. Um, sustainable or not, right? I'm trying to think of what is in the... The near term here, right? Earnings are, for all intents and purposes, over. You got the Fed meeting in in December, not for for a while. And the next CPI read itself is the day before that. So is that a pocket of opportunity, if you want to call it that, for this rally to continue?
10: It it could be. Now, we'll get things like retail earnings next week and and things like that. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Fed speak, too. So you want to see whether there's some pushback on the market's conclusion that now maybe we can see the Fed's ultimate destination on rates. But I do think because sentiment still has this reservoir of doubt that can be burned off uh, in the form of people raising equity exposures. Yeah, I, I think there's an opportunity for that. And then if that doesn't happen... It does sort of tell you something where you did uh, have this sense out there that people are just not going to buy it. and They're going to have to wait and see for more confirmation on the macro number.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'll see you in a few hours. Look forward yeah. to that. That's uh, your last word in overtime, of course. Up next, double digit gains for one of Josh Brown's stock picks, plus the stock he just sold. Talk about it next. let's talk about the
2: sale of Meta. Um, when and why? Uh, I sold it a couple of days ago, before, before today, obviously, before today's pop. Uh, I just have better things to do with it. A lot of my favorite names had come down, and, you know, I, I think I bought it a little bit early. I bought it on the day it collapsed uh, at about 99. I probably should have waited a couple of days. I normally do. I would have gotten it, you know, maybe low 90s, um, but I... It was
1: a small trade, didn't really mean that much, and I decided to uh, reallocate elsewhere. Uh, Dutch Bros is having a great day today, and one of yeah. yours has been talking about that for an awfully long time.
2: Yeah, let's keep in mind, I'm still down in this stock from where, where I originally bought it. I'm still down somewhere in the in the mid-teens, percentage-wise. But this is like a classic example of just a company that came public at the wrong time, and if this were a normal market environment, Uh, I think the stock would be much higher because they are absolutely crushing it. Um, They guided higher on revenue. How many companies can you think of that are doing that? Um, They had uh, 30, I think, 38 new stores open in the third quarter, five consecutive quarters now of opening at least 30 locations. And when I say stores, you can't walk in. It's all drive through. That's the whole thing. Um, but they're on fire. So they they reported uh, almost 200 million in sales this quarter. That's 53% ahead of the same quarter last year. Also put through a price increase. Absolutely no problem. No slowdown whatsoever. And they're going to finish the year, I think, with 800 stores. And they're talking about going up to 4,000 stores over the next few years. All they can do is execute. They like This is, this is a company that's been around for decades, by the way. All they can do is do what they've always done, keep opening stores, keep making the consumer happy, keep delivering. They can't control that growth stocks are out of favor or the Fed is doing whatever it's doing. Like So I think if you're really an investor, which is what I'm trying to do with, with this particular company, uh-huh. you just have to accept the fact that you could be right on the fundamentals and the stock price not reward you for that right away. So that's the focus here. I'm staying with it. And uh, again, I'm, I'm hoping to be in it for the long term not for a trade. All right.
1: We'll do. Uh, speaking of trades, we'll do final trades next. we got a big guest coming up in overtime today. That gentleman right there, Carl Icahn, the Icahn Enterprises chairman, all things markets. We'll find out his current positioning too. obvious reaction to the CPI, what he thinks the Fed should do uh, coming up talk about his Twitter play, too, ahead of the Musk deal, what he said he was going to do if Musk didn't come in and buy that company. That was very interesting. We'll get into more detail there. So I hope you'll all join me there. Dan Greenhouse, Victoria Green, Kevin Simpson coming up as well. Uh, That's in three hours time. I should remind you, too, tomorrow, uh, Veterans Day, we've got Anthony Noto of SoFi joining us once again, which we're excited about the veteran, uh, of course, and uh, we'll talk to him tomorrow about the markets, too, payment space and uh, everything that needs to be discussed with him look forward to that brenda Vangello. final trade why don't you start us off
5: Going with adobe this is a tech name that's really down and out valuations very depressed versus where it trades at historically just made a controversial acquisition but this management team has an excellent track record of making value add acquisitions that really add to total dressable market
0: all
1: right thank you rob seachin
4: Home Depot, we own it. I buy it in the next week's earnings. Great breakout today on an absolute and relative basis. It's a best-in-class franchise, reasonable valuation. Housing is a challenge, but they're a
3: best-in-class management team. Okay, Jason so,
1: Snipe. Jason Snipe,
3: quick. I like TJX here, super lean cost structure, cost structure and okay. they'll have the ability to satisfy those bargains. Just a okay. name, Josh. I got to go.
1: N-E-E, Next hour Energy. All right. Thanks, guys. See you in overtime. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
0: You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.